0: Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Our dear friends, uh, welcome to the 13th session in this series on the sciences of the Quran. Uh, we start in the name of Allah, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. alhamdulillahi, was-salatu was-salamu ala sayyidil mursaleen wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa baraka wa sallama tasliman kathiran ila yawmiddin amma ba'd. So yesterday we were discussing uh, the topic of uh, the muhkam and the mutashabih, the clear verses and the somewhat ambiguous verses. And we talked about the various different opinions regarding that whether there are any verses in the Quran that can never be understood. And there was a difference of opinion about that. Uh, there was uh, a large group that believes that yes, there are verses in the Quran that only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows its meaning. And try as you might, you will never understand the meaning of that, the proper meaning at least. But then there's also another decent sized group which actually believes that you can understand it. And um, so we discussed that in a bit of detail and uh, these kinds of verses, the mutashabihat verses as such, the mushtabih, mutashabihat verses, the ambiguous verses or unclear verses, they are of different categories. Yesterday we started to discuss one category of them, which are the attributes that seem to discuss certain attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it seems like the attributes that are used are what we use for human beings. So there's been some confusion created. Uh, and has also actually led some people to start believing and thinking that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has human characteristics, which obviously is a major problem and uh, is a blasphemy against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as He says in another verse, "Laysa kamithlihi shay," He is unlike anything. He is not like anything else. So then how do we understand those verses? I gave one example yesterday that it's like Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala is using our human language to try to give one some perspective of who he is and what he is to give us uh using words that we understand that doesn't make us then that should not then make us think that he is a human being or has any kind of human uh characteristics and so on just like when we say that when we see adults speaking to children in that childish Uh, Mode, childish wording, childish style. That doesn't mean that adults become children It's just what they're doing is to try to make them understand and communicate with them and make them understand that communication So there were two opinions about this approach to the verses like Allah's hand uh, Discussed in the Quran hand of Allah discussed in the Quran or the face of Allah discussed in the Quran or the shin Uh, it says yawma yukshafu an saqin it says that the day when the shin will be revealed So there's that discussion as well. Now, if you start thinking that all of these are haqiqah and literal, then the problem is that you're creating some really strange uh, concept in your mind about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's why the earlier scholars, their idea was that, look, we're not going to get into... Uh, describing what these things are or even insisting that it's reality, it's haqiqah, it's, it's a literal meaning or it's a metaphorical meaning. We're just going to leave it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We pass it the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned it. We agree with whatever Allah intends by its meaning and Allah knows best its meaning and we believe in it. And that was fine at that time because there was nobody to challenge that. There was not that much deviancy. However, later on, there were people who were insisting on incorrect absolutely absolutely incorrect meaning anthropomorphic meanings actually uh, trying to attribute uh, meanings uh, human like attributes of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they were a group called the mujassima uh, the corporealists or the anthropomorphists essentially saying that god has a body right god has human like features and things like that i mean there's lots of other religions that believe these kind of ideas anyway but we do not want that to come into islam so that's why we're saying uh, what the later scholars started saying is that we can interpret these and I gave one example that the concept of hand can mean Assistance can mean power, right? So that's why they said that this is completely fine and when you when when in the verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says That whichever direction you face in therein you will find the countenance of Allah the countenance he actually refers to the entity of Allah Allah himself uh, generally, in many places, when you talk about the face, the face is used to represent the entire body you You mentioned the face that his face looked very sad. obviously, that doesn 't mean that his face is sad right what 's the point of somebody's face being sad? It means the person is sad. or oh, he looked very happy, his face looked very How do you know he 's happy? Well sometimes you can tell by body language, but sometimes you look at just the face, you can tell somebody's happy because of the smile. That represents the entire body. So the face in many languages is used to represent the entire body. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself says regarding people in the hereafter, "Wujūhun yoma nadira, or basira." right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is discussing faces, they are downcast or they are resplendent, they are excited. That the the purpose of saying that such people's faces will be like that on the day of judgment is showing how they feel how they are themselves as in their essence in their entity so that's the way to kind of understand this according to the later scholars right? in order to just uh, complete this discussion quickly without going into the various uh, different um, uh, details on this so if we do go with the literal approach and we say no face actually means face and hand actually means hand and shin actually means shin then there's some hadith which say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if you walk to Him He will run to you right if you uh, now what what are you trying to create you know uh, it says that in the last third portion of the night Allah is closest to the servant it says it actually says in the hadith that Allah descends from the seventh to the first heaven and He descends now does allah move that creates that idea that allah moves whereas allah is beyond all of that kind of stuff allah uh, 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 starting to attribute these kind of things to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it highly problematic that's why the absolute overwhelming majority of ulama except those who are literalists or who are anthropomorphists you know they just kept this and said allah knows best what it's meaning is and the later ones they said look it just means that allah is close to you like you know so he will accept your duas that's the time when your du'as are accepted, the last portion of the nights, that's the time for tahajjud and so on. I explained to you what the early scholars said. They said, just leave it and consign it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, do tafweed, consign it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now what this deviant group is saying, who misunderstand this, they're saying that the early scholars didn't say that, but they actually said something more. They said that you must establish and agree and submit that it means its literal meaning but you will you can go far and wide and check in any of our pious predecessors the early generations none of them including imam malik none of them actually mentioned the word literal meaning they just said istiwahu uh, ma'lum his istiwa, his being on the uh, his his uh, his establishment on the throne is known why because from the quran allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions it otherwise we would never know it so we know it it's there it's mentioned in the quran we can't deny it but it's howness, how it is, and what that means, that is inconceivable. You cannot conceive that. He said, "غير معقول." He said it's not conceivable. So then uh, we—that's why we leave the knowledge of it. Nowhere in here does he say, "But you must accept its literal meaning." Once you start accepting literal meanings, there's a problem. Now, what they do to try to offset that, because once you start taking literal meaning, hand mean hand. Right, Face means face then So then that means the problems come up that I explained earlier So to avoid those problems they then try to say Oh but it's in a way that befits Allah He has a hand but in a way that befits Him A face but in a way that befits Him Already so they try to say that Allah is not like anybody else And He doesn't have a face like everybody else But He does have a face So rather than just leave it they insist to say that now the problem with that is that this is actually a—it's a contradiction. What they're saying, they say say face, but it's not—it's in a way that befits Allah. What does that do to your mind? Is what the problem is. What does that do? It's just an untenable opinion. It's just not an opinion that works because what it does is that it's number one self-contradictory. It's mute. It's a mutual contradiction in a sense because what you get from the literal meaning of hand or face or shin or whatever is something. And then then you're telling the person, oh, but it's a way that befits Allah and it's not like the human hand. But you're already taking somebody in a direction to think of it physically already. Then you're just saying, oh, but it's a way that befits him. Not good enough. That's why what you find that a lot of these people, and I've dealt with some people like that, right, who actually then do believe that Allah does have a limb, بالله. بالله they actually then believe that they don 't even realize sometimes because there is a very fine balance in what you have to, you know what they 're trying to say uh, even if it's you know if you can even consider it correct in any sense and they just they just can 't deal with it that 's why it 's the wrong opinion to have our real salaf they just said leave it to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. now let 's look at a few of these verses and see what Allah is saying. Allah says, قُلْ إِنَّ الْفَضْلَ بِيَدِ اللَّهِ يُؤْتِيهِ من يَشَاءُ Now I'm going to read these verses. I'm going to read these verses and I want you to try to see what you understand from this. What is Allah trying to tell us? Allah says, say that the grace, all grace is in the hand of Allah. He gives it to whom He wishes. Now tell me, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala literally emphasizing that it's in His physical hand of some sort? a literal hand of some sort when you have grace you don't have it in your hand anyway even human beings they have it in their heart it's a behavior it's something that they do for others so it means that it's in allah's control allah has grace that he gives to whomever he wishes he belongs to him number two look at this verse <tabaraka> wa huwa ala kulli famous verse blessed is he in whose hand Whose, yad, whose hand is all the kingdom, all the power, right, all the sovereignty. And he, is a, he has ability over everything. What's the point of saying it's in his hand? What, what's the emphasis on the hand? It's just a figure of speech to say it's all in, all in his hand, which means that he controls everything. It doesn't have to be physically in his hand at all. And we, nobody believes that, that physically everything is in Allah's hand, that Allah even has a hand to do that. Okay, number two, uh, number three, the third verse. بَلْ كَيْفَ يَشَاءُ Now this is a discussion that uh, some of the Yahood said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is stingy and uh, his hands are tied. So, which is to say that he doesn't give them whatever, there was a discussion about that. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, no, but Yadahu, his two hands are completely widespread, are open, are extended. He's كَيْفِهِ He can spend as he wishes. Now, in our own speech, we say, MashaAllah, he's got a very free hand. He's got a very tight, he's very tight-fisted. Now, when you say tight-fisted, that doesn't mean that he's got his money in his hand and he's holding and he won't give it to anybody. It could be in his bank, it could be in his pocket, right? Isn't that the way we take these things? When you say that, he, MashaAllah, he, he's got very free hands, He's got very free hands which means that he gives he gives right even though he may not physically be giving his hands at all all right he may be telling somebody give them so i i don't know why they insist on these things and they've just made a big deal out of this right it, it became such a big deal in the last 10 15 years that they started calling people kafir if they didn't believe in literal meaning whereas that is not its meaning anyway and that's not what the salaf said and the third, the fourth verse Allah says، والسماء بنيناها لموسِعون. The heavens we made with the hands in the plural sense here، and we are the ones with the expansion or uh, you know with the ability. Now you see the word here has been the word for hand has been used in a singular، يد، بيد الله، uh, بيدِهِ. It's been used in the dual. Uh, in, in the, uh, you know, where, where it means two, yada, right, which means two. And it's also been mentioned in the plural of aid, which essentially refers to more than that, uh, multiple. Now, are you trying to say that Allah has multiple hands? Allah has one hand, two hand? I mean, how you, if you start taking this literally, you're going to end up with a lot of problem. That's why, again, the ulama said, we leave it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the later ulama said, it's clear what it means. It means in his possession, in his control. He owns this. That's what it means. We Humans use this word in that way anyway. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us at our level using those words. Now don't insist that he actually has a hand and that, you know, when you see the adult speaking to children that you think the, ch- the, the adult is a child now because they're using words like do-do or something like that, right? Now, I'll quote to you from one of the most prominent mufassirs that we already introduced to you and many of you will know about and what makes this really really interesting is that this mufassir from this tafsir of, uh, of the imam who is actually a student of Ibn Taymiyyah now why is that a, why is that a point? a lot of this literalism actually is taken from Ibn Taymiyyah's view. This is one of uh, why Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah was a major scholar in many many aspects. This is where a m- majority of scholars say that he had blundered in a in a major way in trying to insist on the literal meaning of these things. Now his own student who's actually buried right next to him, this is what he says regarding all of these verses. So I'll start with the first verse in al Fadlabi say that all the grace is in the hand of Allah he says Ay al Umur all the matters are under Allah's disposal. He has the right to do what He wishes with them. He's the one who gives and He's the one who prevents. يَمُنُّ عَلَى مَن يَشَاءُ بِالْإِيمَانِ وَالْعِلْمِ التَّامِ And He is the one who bestows on whomever He wishes Iman, knowledge and absolute disposal. Nowhere in here is He insisting that it's in Allah's physical hand. But if you see scholars who are from that particular, the, that minority, they would actually insist, look, it says hand, and they kind of insist on uh, highlighting it everywhere as though it's like some big deal that you must insist on doing it, right? We actually said it's wrong. That's why Ibn Kathir just passes it and just mentions the general meaning and signification of that. Number two, He Allah's hand is above their hands. a. Ibn Kathir says hadirun Allah is present with them yasma'u aqwalahum he can hear their voices when they're giving the pledge he can see their position and he has absolute knowledge of their internal feelings and their external states so it is he most high al-mubayyah sallallahu alayhi who's also undertake it, who's also taking the pledge but through the means of his Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, because they were taking the pledge, right? With the Prophet. Wa so he's saying that the Prophet wa sallam, is representing Allah. So they are pledging with Allah, but not with Allah's hand, obviously, because Allah doesn't have a hand like that, right? That he, they're doing it with the Prophet. Again, no discussion of hand as a physical hand or that it is a hand but don't say, uh, don't say this or don't say that or that it's befitting Allah or whatever. None of that discussion. Number three. يَدَاهُ, يَدَاهُ Allah's hands are open, outstretched, extended. He spends however He wishes. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is expansive in His grace. Um, huge and abundant and general in giving magnanimous in giving you that uh, he is such that he has the treasures of everything he has the endless supply of everything again he gives a metaphorical meaning the 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 the, the under the the general signification of that now let's move on to the next verse. Al-Rahman There's several places where Allah has mentioned this in different ways. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-A'raf, Inna rabbakumullahul khalaqa wal arda fi sittati ayyamin thumma istawa al-Arsh. Uh, verse 24 of Surah Al-A'raf, that your Lord is the one who created the heavens and the earth in six days, and then he was established on the throne. Then he did istiwa on the throne. Um, then in Surah Al-Taha verse 5 and 6 Allah says The Rahman, the most merciful one, is established on his throne. For him belongs everything that is in the heavens and that which is in the earth and that which is between them and that which is below uh, the Thara and the, the, the land and everything as well. Thereafter that in Surah Al-Sajdah, verse 4, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Allah is the one who created the heavens and the earth. Now you know what Samawat and Ard mean, heavens and the earth. And everything that is between them in six days. Then he was established on his Arsh, on his throne. And you don't have any caretaker, any friend, or any intercessor besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now Imam Ibn Kathir, again we take him because he's the best example here, uh, best person to take from. Regarding the verse in Surah Al-A'raf, ثُمَّ اِسْتَوَى عَلَى الْعَرْشِ He says, إِنَّمَا يُسْلَكُ فِي هَذَا الْمَقَامِ مَذْهَبُ السَّلَفِ الصَّالِحِ He says, the path to uh, to undertake. Now this is the first time he actually talks about even that discussion. He says the path to take at this instance is the opinion of the righteous predecessors Malik, Awza'i, Thawri, Layth ibn Sa'd, Shafi'i, Ahmad ibn Hanbal, Ishaq ibn Rahway all of these people we should take their path and others from the Imams of the Muslimin both of the old and of the later ones which is and then he explains now look here there's not a single place where he says haqiqa as what these people quote or a claim he says imraruha kama ja'at min wala wala so what he's saying here very simply is the, uh, the opinion of all of these people from early and late and he mentions some of these big individuals he says is to pass these verses as they have been transmitted to pass these verses as they've been revealed without discussing their taqīf, which is discussing their howness of how this is wala tashbihin, without causing any resemblance right with anything wala and also not uh, canceling them uh, n- not canceling it out and saying that no this does not exist that this verse does not exist it's to just leave it exactly as it is wadhahirul mutabadir ila al-adhani al Manfiyun and that apparent meaning that comes to the minds of those who like to cause resemblance with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to creation, that is negated from Allah. That is for sure because Allah says Laysa Kamithli Shay. Anyway, inna Allah Yushbihuhu Min Khalki he says. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not resemble in any way his creation. Why? Because Allah says Laysa there is nothing like unto him. There is nothing like unto him, and he is the all listening and all the uh, and the all seeing. And then he says this and this is the same way uh, that all of these verses, the predecessors have interpreted them in this way. Right? Thereafter that, let's move on to the opinion of the later scholars. And we say later scholars because it became, you can say, agreed upon afterwards that you could do that. According to the majority, It were just a small group of detractors who insisted on the literal meaning all the time. right? But as I said to you earlier, there's also earlier scholars from our Salaf Salim, including the Sahaba who did that wheel, who interpreted it. We didn't um, take that uh, what we said was the first more cautious approach that just leave it they actually decided to interpret it even some of the early scholars but more so the later scholars so let's look at that as well for example if there is an interpretation of one of these words that is very like quick you can clearly understand it it's the apparent meaning that's the way it's used in the language then um, that is what you will say it's completely allowed to say that for example Let's look at this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَهُوَ He is with you. I'm going to do a literal translation. He is with you wherever you are. He is with you wherever you are. Now what are you going to understand from this? If you understand from this, if you take this literally, then it's almost like saying that wherever you are, Allah is with you physically. There's a lot of people. There's everybody's on. Uh, you know, there's billion, there's million, there's billions of people in the world, and Allah is individually with each of them physically. What are you trying to say? What does that even mean? Like, if somebody was to take this literally, can you see the kind of connect uh, question it's going to create? So I'm here in, you know, in my house. You are wherever you are, in whichever country you are, and Allah is with all of us physically. That is just subhanallah, you know, that is something we don't want to start entertaining in that way. That's why in this particular case like this, it's actually wajib and necessary the ulama have said that there's only one interpretation here, which is that Allah is definitely with everybody that we know from His names. Allah is definitely with everybody in knowledge, that Allah has knowledge of all of us in whatever state we're in. So Allah is with us with knowledge. Allah is with us in hearing, that He can hear everything that you, I, and everybody else is doing, and He can see, and He can intend whatever He want with any of us at any time. And He has ability over every one of us at any time. That's what it means that He's with you wherever you are, i.e. in terms of sight, in terms of being able to see you, hear you, control you, do whatever He wants with you, and have complete absolute uh, ability over you wajib to take it in that meaning and to take it away from the literal meaning that he is physically with you which is just an absurd idea right and we again this is something this is not far-fetched it's like don't worry I'll be with you right I'll be keeping tabs on you don't worry you know everything will be fine right that's why this is what Ibn Kathir now explains right so I'll take again what exactly Ibn Kathir says he says ay raqibun alaykum ever watchful over you, right? Ever watchful over you. Absolute witness to all of your actions wherever you are. He witnesses every one of your actions wherever you are. And wherever, wherever you are, or whenever you are, whenever you're doing them, and wherever you're doing them, whether on land or in sea, في ليل أو in night, during the night, during the day, fil buyut, awil kafar, whether you're in your homes or you're outside in the deserts, al fi ilmihi ala sawa, everything of that is in his knowledge equally. Right? That's what it means. But Allah said it in that way, right? Now they think that he's actually physically, you know, that's, that's the problem. Okay. Now, the 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 second way to look at this is that where it becomes necessary to interpret it, because uh, there are people who are actually taking a wrong meaning and they won't just agree to leave it to Allah and consign its uh, knowledge to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala the way the early scholars said. In that case, some ulama said that it becomes necessary to interpret it to remove that kind of ideology. Okay, so. Um, that we, uh, we don't. I mean, that, that's when we'll give the interpretation. We've given you the ideas of how those are interpreted. However, uh, however, when you do interpret, and that's going to cause a problem, then you avoid interpreting. As I said, the safest approach always, always, has been the early, the majority of the early scholars' approach, which is leave it to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. And the latest scholar said, interpret when it's necessary, right? And as long as you don't insist that that is the only meaning. That Allah knows the meaning best, but this is what it seems to indicate. So it's a tentative meaning that you're providing anyway, right? And some people get so riled up about this, and they just start calling people kafir about all of this and so on. That's why Ibn Abbas, the Allah, in numerous places, like if you see Yaumayyukshafu an Saqin, right, where he says that the day when the shin will be revealed. Now the idea of the shin being revealed is that you know when you get serious, you pull up your pants essentially. You roll up your sleeves, you pull up your pants, and the matter gets serious. So that is what it's referring to, that it's a severe day. It's a day of extreme turmoil and sev- severity. So get ready, and that will be the, the day of seriousness. That's what's intended. right? Now, um, to end this discussion, I want... Uh, well, there's two points left quickly. Number one, very quickly, is what's the point of certain words being mutashabih and certain words words being clear now remember as uh, as i mentioned earlier the muhkam verses the clear-cut verses unambiguous verses they are the default that is the majority of verses there's only a minority which are mutashabih now according to the various descriptions that we or details and difference of opinion we mention, for some people some will be mutashabih for others they will not be especially if we go with the other opinion which is that no verse in the Quran is absolutely beyond, uh, you know, the understanding of human being, their proof generally is that how can Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala send us something which cannot be understood, what's the point of that? So then the others they respond, oh it's so that it can challenge you and say that look here you're, to- you're told not to get delve into this and leave it and just submit because it's part of believing in the unseen, that's their response to it. So there are both views about this. Now, those who believe that you can interpret, then again, the question would be that what's the purpose of that? Uh, What's the purpose of having such verses in the Qur'an anyway, right? Which is that they're difficult. So there's a number of reasons. Firstly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has used the Qur'an to guide people and also to challenge the disbelievers of that time, the Arabs. Now, they had they were very proud and arrogant about their eloquence and their effective speech and their ability to write wonderful writing and clarity of speech and everything and have it very succinct and so brief and use their metaphors and and, uh, and their alliterations and you know their uh, all of these other different techniques in good writing right uh, indications and significations and so on so the quran was revealed according to that So that's why it makes some of these aspects difficult because when you're going to write something in these complex ways, sometimes it's going to be difficult, but you might be able to work out the meaning of it. Number two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did this to test the people, the believers, through the Qur'an, that look, these are words that you uh, are their mutashabihat. We've mentioned to you their mutashabihat, so don't go after them. If you go after them, even though we've told you to stop, it means you're looking for fitna. For example, you might say, but what kind of a test is that? Well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Baqarah, regarding Talut, soul, right? إِنَّ اللَّهَ bi Remember when their, the, the, their army was going uh, regarding Dawud, Talut, and then Goliath that comes later, right? Jalut that comes later. It's saying that you're going to soon come upon a lake. In اللَّهَ And... Whoever drinks from it is not from me anymore, right? And whoever you know doesn't, then he's from me. Now, there's a lake. Why can't you drink from it? Well, it was a test. Allah wanted to give. So, likewise, Allah wants to test with some of these verses, like Alif Lam Hamim. He wants you to say, "Okay, Allah knows best its meaning." That's why when you look at the tafsirs, you'll see many of them will say, Allahu bi muradihi," Alif Lam Allah is best, uh, is most aware of its meaning. Allah is the one who's aware of its meaning. So that is some of the understanding of this, okay, of the the reasoning. There's a few other points before we end. Those those, uh, scholars who say that, look, there's nothing in the Qur'an to say that there's some things in the Qur'an that you will never understand, that's very, very difficult to say. And the reason is that if you make an effort, that's their opinion, if you make an effort, um, you will be able to understand it. So then why make some things like that then? If, what's their answer to that? What's the purpose of this then? Well, they say that if we kept all the verses at the same level, then how would you differentiate pe- between people? How would people make an effort? If everything in the Quran was just clear cut and so clear cut, then you would just read it like that and get bored. there would be no effort that you put behind it. So that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made the Quran a treasure in a sense that there are many verses which are very clear, the majority are like that. But there are some parts which you're going to have to make an effort. You're going to need to look in hadith, you're going to have to compare it other verses. You're going to have to rack your brains, ponder, reflect, and uh, then you'll be able to come up with it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by this gives to people right who make an effort. So as I mentioned to you before, I think... Uh, Sheikh Anwar Shah Kashmiri in Ramadan would just do one juice of the Quran not read it for the sake of reading it but the whole day from morning to evening all he would do was just ponder over its balagha, its rhetoric, its, uh, its effective style that's all, I mean, that's how long and he says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given him so much because of doing that but this subject is such regarding the effectiveness of the Quran that many other people don't actually have uh, understanding of it it's only open to few to appreciate that. Now, regarding things like, okay, the time of the day of judgment, well, the verse says only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows it. So the verse is actually quite clear in the sense that only Allah knows the time of the day of judgment. Now, the fact is, who knows that or not? That's beyond, that's not the verse of the Quran. The verse of the Quran says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only one who knows uh, when the day of judgment is going to occur. Well, that's quite clear. In terms of okay now when the Day of Judgment is and that's unseen, that's a point beyond the, what the Quran is saying. That's exactly what the Quran is saying so you actually understand the verse anyway. Likewise Paradise and Hell, um, we, uh, those who use that as an example, well Allah describes what, whatever there is and of course we can't see it until we go there but at least we've understood the verse. The fact that we can't understand what the deeper meaning is. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about الارض, that before the Day of Judgment, there's going to be a certain beast that will come out right, and emerge for the people. Now, that's what Allah tells us. Well, we know that. That much we know. Whatever Allah tells us, that much we know. Now, beyond that, what the meaning of that, what it's going to look like, well, we don't know that, but they're saying that that does not affect the fact that you've understood the verse at least of what it's trying to tell you, at least in a basic level. Because there's some things which what you will understand from it immediately is you'll understand the detail immediately. There's some things which you'll understand the general idea of it, but you won't understand in detail unless you make an effort. And there's some things that you may never understand the full detail because it was not intended to be told to you. But at least the basic uh, idea is there. And we know that Allah says that there's going to be a beast that will come out of the ground. So we know that much. That's what the verse is saying. And we know that much. That's what they're arguing about. That's what they're saying. The last point then for today is... A lot of you are wondering that talk a bit more about the huruf muqatta'at, the alif, la, meem and so on. So remember the mutashabihat, what are they of the Qur'an? Well, one are those verses which we don't understand the meaning of it. And it could be something as simple as where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in certain inheritance cases that if there are two of them, they will get two-thirds and if there's one of them, they'll get half. What about if there's more than two sisters? What will they get? There's no discussion there, right? So you're gonna to have to make an effort to find out what that is. That's why there could be a difference of opinion there. In another place, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, there's, if there's one of them, they'll get half. And if there's more than two, then they get two thirds. But He doesn't talk about two in that case. So that's mutashabih, that is confusing. Right? So mutashabi could be those kind of verses as well where there's a point missing. A point has been omitted, has been left out. Sometimes it could be, let's take this verse, lisa ka mithlihi shay. Laisa ka mithlihi shay. Now if you were to do this literally it says laisa, there is not. Ka means similar to, mithl also means similar to. There is no similar to to the similar of Allah. Now, if you were to look at this literally, what it really means is, uh, literally, is there is nothing similar to this, to something which is similar to Allah. What's the point of that? Well, that is actually seen as emphasis to say there is absolutely nothing similar to Allah, such that even if you imagine something similar to Allah, there'd be nothing else similar to that. Others have said, no, what it is, is that this calf here, And they both have the same meaning one of them is considered to be superfluous or extra right others say no how can you say it's superfluous this is for emphasis that creates a conundrum that creates a bit of a ambiguity so that's a mutashabih according to some people right that's another category of mutashabih something that the meaning of it is not clear I gave you the other example that day of women who've been divorced they should wait for three kuru. now because the word quroo is a homonym and can mean purity or menstruation which one does it in which one does it mean that makes this verse not muhkam but mutashabih again this is what many ulama have said so now you can understand that what mutashabih means in general throughout right i should have actually probably mentioned this in the beginning to put it in perspective so now the last category that we want to discuss about the mutashabih are the huruf muqatta'at the the separated letters the alif lam mim ta sin so according to those who say that everything in the Qur'an has a meaning that we can understand and the firmly grounded people can understand it, they're saying that even for these, there is a rational meaning. So what is the meaning of Alif mim then? What is the meaning of noon? What is the meaning of kaf So they say that these are actually the names of the surahs. These are the names of the surahs. Right? However, the majority actually say that no. The purpose of Alif lam mim and Yasin and so on, is actually the challenge that the Qur'an presents. That is where this is one major aspect of the Qur'an where they provide a challenge. And so it's to provide a challenge, it's to warn people and to notify them, and it's to wake them up. How? Well, the challenge is in the fact that if the Qur'an, that we're saying that the Qur'an is a miracle, it's an inimitable miracle that you cannot produce the like of it, The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is saying He's using the letters from your own language that you think and you're so proud of and you think you're so good at composing uh, pieces in. I'm using the same words here. You produce something like this. Here, these are letters. These are the same letters that you use. Now you produce a surah like this. So it's to challenge them using letters by saying it's only letters. You try to produce something, not like the letters themselves, but like the surah, right? By saying this just made these surahs. That you cannot compare to like هُوَ or, There was Musa'ilah who made up uh, وَمَا It's just really silly. The elephant. The elephant. Do you know what the elephant is? It, it's a uh, um, uh its snout is very very long i mean it's like just some simple words that he just rhymed together with no profundity of meaning so what the quran is saying is that you these surahs that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has produced in the quran these words they're made up of yaseen alif la meem qaf sad and whatever it's the same letters that you guys use so why can't you produce something like this even though we're both using the same letters that's the challenge aspect of the huruf Muqatta'at. Number two, it's to say that um, you know when it was this new way of saying alif lam mim had it started from thatik al kitab la rayba feehi Now let me do this in English, right? Um, if I start talking to you just like this, then he's like, oh, he's just talking to us. What about if I started like this? X, Y, Z, uh, X Y Z, we are going tomorrow. U, V, W, we have to quickly go in the car. Come on, hurry up, let's go. Um, S, T, U, V. It's going to be iftari time soon. It creates, because the, nobody said these things before. So he's saying that this is a, another purpose of it, is to wake them up and say, pay heed, take heed, right? Because it was an unusual way of starting. That's, some say that that's one of the additional benefits, not the primary benefits, okay? Alif, Lam ra, Kitabun uhkimat, Ayatu. he said, alif, Lam ra. Right? not just kitabun uhki what's going on here so there you go that gives you inshallah some understanding many of you may have been confused what does this alif mean? and how the, this ver, uh, how does that apply and many of you may have before asked mutashabih muhkam. so to summarize majority of the verses are muhkam. they're easy to understand they're clear to understand anything that is confusing to you is mutashabih to you because it's a relative term Anything that you can't clearly understand, like what's going on here, that's mutashabih to you. Now, many of those mutashabih are those that you can figure out by checking in tafsis, by asking others, by making an effort, and the scholars have figured it out. And uh, according to those scholars who say that there is really nothing in the Quran that cannot be understood, then they will say that everything you'll be able to figure out. And those who say, no, there are some things, well, they'll say, well, there's some that you can't figure out. So there'll be mutashabih. That would be a relative mutashabih, ambiguous verse to you that is just uh, ambiguous right now because you don't know the meaning. But once you know the meaning, then it's no longer mutashabih to you. Also for alif, laam, mim and so on, some have said that alif refers to Allah, laam refers to um, the angel Jibril Jibreel السلام, and meme refers to Muhammad. And there's lots of other interpretations that those scholars have given who think that you can understand. Likewise, when it says, وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ ani قُلِ الرُّوحُ uh, there's people who've described the ruh now Allah says in there that you've only been given a bit of knowledge now you can take this as saying that you don't know what the reality of ruh is because you've only given a bit of knowledge of everything else but you don't know what the spirit is others have interpreted it as saying that we can know what a ruh is. It's a subtle body that infuses the human being and the human becomes alive because of it. And if it goes, then uh, the, the, the human being is no longer alive. And it is within the human being, just like moisture is, is within a fresh stick. So somebody said, how can you interpret that? Well, this is the bit of knowledge Allah says, you've only been given a bit of knowledge. This is the bit of knowledge that you've been given. So there's lots of ways of looking at this and we all, all we ask of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala open up the Qur'an for us and allow us to understand it and get better at it and uh, allow us to live our life by it. Jazakallah khair. Jazakallah khair. Uh, Allah bless you all. Um, just want to mention that MashaAllah, Rayyan Institute for the month of Ramadan you can get free access. You can sign up with free access for the month and start benefiting from the Duru's you know, for, for 30 days or whatever. So please go and check it out on uh, rayyaninstitute.com uh, and uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala let that be a journey uh, for you to start. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Jazakallah khair for listening. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala b- uh, bless you. And if you're finding this useful, you know, um, As they say, do that like button and subscribe button and forward it on to others. Jazakallah khairan assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.